And welcome to the HTML All the Things Podcast, episode number 60, Making Web Development Easier. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and want to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can view us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you listen to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have the two tiers right now, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we will share your website slash link in the show notes. Also, you can also just tell your friends about us. Let us know, let them know, hey, there's a podcast to be listened to, so download an app and uh, start listening. And if they want to hang out, go further than just listening, they want to actually hang out, we, we have that Discord server. So our Discord server is blowing up. We have well over 100 members now, and it's active, people talking about all sorts of things, web development, movies, TV, everything, all in there. Friendly little community, come check us out. But, as we always do, Weekly Pain Point, Mike, take it away. All right. Uh, so weekly pain point this week for me is waiting for a framework to mature. And uh, this is kind of a pain point and uh, interesting part of the industry. Since we're in a since we're in an industry that's constantly evolving and constantly growing, uh, we're kind of in a spot where like there's crazy awesome libraries and frameworks and stuff coming out all the time. But before you can use them, especially in a production environment, you want to make sure that they're, you know, have they have the features that you want the roadmap is actually getting complete and they're invested in the in the product you don't want to pick up a framework or a library that gets you know uh abandoned in a week or in a month or in two months or even a year like you want something that's been going on for a little while that has potential that has bigger groups backing it as well so that w- with that uh we're building currently the html the things version 2 site and i've been trying to figure out what kind of vue.js static site creator framework to use so there's a couple of different options uh one of them is nux.js and i tried that and it's pretty good and i liked it but then i heard uh in one of the episodes we actually had a, a discussion about something called gridsum and gridsum is another very similar uh cr- a very similar uh framework for Vue for static site creation uh but what it does is it it allows you to kind of extrapolate your data into a graphql layer and it you'll you're allowed to kind of plug into any sort of backend that you want and have the same file uh, query structure for your data on any backend and it's it, it had does a really cool it has a, a couple other cool features where it'll it'll cache a certain amount of uh, posts for you so that you don't have to hit your backend as much and stuff like that and it does that all natively whereas in nuxjs you could do stuff like that but you kind of have to build your own caching framework for it. So I decided to wait for Gridsum to have a plugin for Sanity, which is our backend service. And while waiting for that, I was kind of playing around with all the different other frameworks. And that, that wait turned into a longer wait and a longer wait. Because like like with any sort of structure, like with any sort of framework, uh, usually their deadlines get moved back because you don't know what issues are going to arise and stuff like that. So I had to wait quite a long time. It's finally out. The new uh, Gridsum version 7.3 or 0.7 uh, it is finally out. So I'm able to continue development of the HTML the things site. Stay tuned for some updates on that. Hopefully, in the, in the in the coming weeks, we'll have something to either talk about or show or something. So that's it for me. What about you, Matt? So this week for me, it's been uh, a little bit of WordPress stuff. So I don't know whether this is due to an experience or something like that, but just we're having some issues, or we were having some issues uh, moving some sites over a couple of times. So basically, 
when you do a WordPress migration, or at least when we do a WordPress migration, we make sure that everything's sort of like sound on the WordPress side, and then we sort of do the migration. And so my weekly pain point is more specifically talking about how even if the WordPress environment itself is sound, like stable and everything like that, when you actually move the thing, it's a little bit of a pain um, in terms of getting it to be compatible with that other host. So whether you need to uh, adjust, I don't know, some HD access file stuff, whether you need to uh, turn on cron jobs or whether you need to turn on certain features or change the amount of ram allocated or uh, change the permissions to certain things um or anything like that so it's just it's just that that's my weekly pain point is just the annoyance this week of just being like oh it works here why doesn't it work here kind of thing but we, we figured it out so hooray us but anyway uh, i'm gonna pass it on to mike so that he can uh, take over this how to make web development easier for us so mike take it away all right. Uh, so this this topic actually came about from a popular Reddit post on our web dev. Uh, I'm going to link it in the show notes so you can check it out for yourselves. It's a pretty big post. People are constantly talking about what made it easier for them, what made web development easier for them. And I wanted to kind of bring up my points, discuss some of the points that are mentioned in that post as well, because they had some really good ones uh, and go on from there and have a, have a discussion about it. So Without further ado, let's talk about what makes web development easier for me. Uh, one of the first things, and this one is a pretty big one, is breaking complicated problems down into smaller, easier-to-tackle subtasks. Uh, for me, this is a huge one. I, I constantly am challenged with very big abstract projects like, hey, can you create an entire you know, selling app system? And when someone tells you that, like, there's a lot of questions that arise and it can quickly become overwhelming. But when you, when you take it and then break it down to smaller subsections. So I'm going to do something similar, uh, with an example, the example hat site. So we're building the HTML of things site. How did I break that down, at least on the very high end level to make it easier for me to digest and start working on it? So essentially the site will need a front end logic front-end layouts, it'll need design to be done, and it'll also need the CMS side, so the content management database side. And then when you have it broken down like that, you can then further break it down depending on what you want to start with, what you want to work on first, and or, or how many people are in your project. So it's not always up to you to break it, break it down. You'll want, to sit, you'll want to consult with your team. And like, for instance, Matt, Matt does most of our design and front-end layout work. So he would be the one that would break down the design portion of it into other smaller subtext tasks, so like doing prototypes, stuff like that. And I would be the one that would then break down the CMS side and the front-end logic side into other smaller tasks, like for the CMS, what kind of CRUD operations are we talking about? What am I going to have to program? What's the UI of the CMS need to look like for editing the content and stuff like that? And then once you get into that, it's a little bit easier to start tackling your project. Instead of talking about an entire, you know, an entire editable site, an entire blog blogging platform, you're talking about smaller subtasks that you can easily kind of solve. And this not only works with kind of projects, it works with problems. So if you have a complicated issue that arises, like uh, you're I, I'm trying to trying to think of one, maybe you have a to do list and you're like, if you add too many tasks, your tasks all kind of get erased or something like that. You can kind of break down even problems in the same way where like, okay, I know that it's happening because there's too many tasks going in. So where is the problem? Where, where are the tasks being added? So break it down into like the sections of the code that the problem is affecting. And then in there, it's easier to kind of go into those sections and start looking for the actual issue. It works, it works on many levels. 
don't get overwhelmed by large issues because you can always break them down. That's kind of my main point. Uh, next thing here is learning to read and reading and understanding documentation. Uh, this one's a really big one. And actually, we've talked about this before with Matt and uh, on the show before where one of our best classes during our college years was a class that was talking was talking about embedded programming. And for a big portion of that class, we learned how to read spec sheets and we learned how to read documentation. And it seems boring and it seems useless when you start like just reading the syllabus. Uh, but when you actually get down to it, it's an extremely important skill to have to be able to understand where the function is that you need lies in the documentation will save you an enormous amount of time and it'll make everything easier for you. So investing some time into learning and understanding a documentation of a new of a new framework or the framework that you're going to be using is an important task because when you're in the process of developing and uh, a problem arises, that problem can sidetrack you for a long time. But if you're well aware aware uh, of the documentation for that particular framework or for that particular language that you're using, uh, you can easily go in and find it, uh, find that issue and find the solution to that issue as fast as possible. And that'll kind of keep you going on the on the right track. Uh, there's also something cool that I found actually inside that Reddit post uh, that I was mentioning earlier, where it's called it, it's a, a website called devdocs.io. And it's kind of a conglomerate of a bunch of different dev docs. And you can, there's a nice search function where you can just search for the thing that you're looking for or the current or the uh, framework that you're looking for. And it'll kind of give you a really good um, overview of that, of whatever you search for. So it's a really fast querier for your any sort of dev docs. That's what I think it's used for. It doesn't have everything. Like I tried to search for Sanity or Gridsum, which is two things that I'm currently using. Uh, they're smaller frameworks, so that I, I understand why it doesn't have it. But it had all the you know basic JavaScript stuff, all the PHP stuff, uh, like Bootstrap. L- larger frameworks it definitely has. Smaller frameworks it has it doesn't have. So you have to figure out how to use their framework uh, structure yourself. I, Next, I actually want to ma- yeah, mention something in here. Um, the the last two points you made, so breaking complicated systems down into the smaller tasks, as well as this learning and learning to read and understand documentation. I think there's actually a, a point to be made in saying that those two actually go hand in hand. So if you don't break down your application or your your task at hand into those smaller subtasks, it's going to be actually really difficult for you to find things in the documentation that you actually need. And so it's actually because there's not going to be like if you needed to make, I'll just give an, like an actual example. So Michael will remember our, one of our final projects, it was called our TR project. I had to make a, a MATLAB script that basically imported numbers from a machine, put those numbers in a table, and then generated a graph from that. And I had to use MATLAB to do that as well as a few other uh, joining systems to make it work. But anyway, at a high level, that's what I did. I made this little graphing program that imported and made the thing. Now, if I actually just Googled, like, how do I make this import program? And I think I did do that. You don't really find anything that is like straight up one-to-one what you're looking for. And actually, with that being said, even if you do find something that's very similar, because you're looking at the entire project, it's actually rather like you're seeing all the tasks already done. And so it's already overwhelming, especially since we were new to MATLAB and that sort of thing. So one of the things that I did was break down the subtasks. And then I literally took those subtasks and went, opened up the MATLAB documentation and then just searched every single time I needed something. Like, I need to import data. So, like, how do I import data? Okay, and now I have importing data. Now that I have that imported data from a file, how do I, imp- like, how do I take that 
and put it into a box. Okay, now I can display it. So now I'll mess around with the UI and make a table. Okay, now that I have all this stuff into a table, how do I take the table and plug it into the math function? Or the, uh, the the graphing function. Okay, that's great. So then now that I have that, how do I break down the graphing function so that I can allow my data that I already have to be different colors on like the, the, the pie chart or whatever it was? But if I had not broken that down, I would have been like, you can't just type that into the MATLAB documentation and be like, I need a graphing program that allows me to import something. It's going to be like import, like that's all it's going to give you. It's not going to know exactly what you want. So those two actually go like really well hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of want to build a little bit on that as well. And this isn't actually part of my show notes. I just wanted to men- mention it because it's an important one that does make web development easier for me. Uh, it's n- when you have everything broken down or when you're facing a very complicated issue, it's important to just start somewhere because you get frozen sometimes in these situations where like someone throws an issue at you. Like one that I'm tackling right now is a cross-platform development stuff where I have to interface between two different cross-platform technologies. That seems really complicated, and it is. But if you break something down and just start working at it and just start grinding at it, it'll make it everything seem a lot a lot more simple than 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 what initially what you thought. And it's important to start. So my, my point is just start. Do your best to get something, break it down, break down something that you know you can handle and start there because as you start, the momentum will grow and you'll start adding stuff to it. So if it's a serious, if it's a problem, figure out a good, really simple uh, first pass and get that going. If it's a project, again, get a very simple MVP and get that going. Start working on that most value, like, you know, minimum viable product as fast as you can without getting bogged down by all the other stuff that could possibly happen. You might throw it out in, in the future. And that's not a big deal because you have learned all those skills and you can build another product like it, maybe more secure, maybe whatever you, the reason to decide to throw that part out, part out, but you've accelerated your process. You've accelerated the project's endpoint. So that's uh that's another little another little suggestion to make it easier for you next little next thing here is vs code and there's a few reasons why 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 i chose vs code as something that makes my life easier and one of the main ones is the fact that it's used by a lot of industry professionals uh whenever you have something that's used by a lot of people it means that there's a lot of really good articles about it there's a lot of really good suggestions with it there's a lot there's a big community behind it and that big community will help you with any problem that you have with that function with that with that uh, thing so i've used other ids in the past that are less used i used brackets before i've used um i can't even remember some of the other ones like notepad plus plus i've used i mean notepad plus plus is big but it's used by a lot of different industries vs code is very web centric it has other functionalities but it's very web centric and a lot of developers use it so whenever i have an issue like uh i'm trying to build a you know trying to use the debugging function for vue.js right how do i use the debugging function for vue.js there's multiple multiple different youtube tutorials there's multiple different uh medium articles you know like there's there's a lot of content surrounding every issue that i've had and i've been able to kind of go through it without having to you know search for that one thing that someone did because this thing isn't used that much so that's the main reason that i like vs code but the other reason is it has a very good extension platform so it comes pretty basic out of the box, but you can add a lot to it that you need. Uh, something like Live Preview, um, it's kind of like a local development server. 
Uh, inst- I don't know if people have used uh, XAMPP or LAMP or whatever. This is very similar to that. It'll literally from the editor launch your code launch your code into a local development environment uh and you'll be able to adjust the stuff on the fly it has um it has uh you know when when it saves it reloads and so, like when you save your code it reloads automatically i can't remember what that's called now for some reason it just slipped my mind but it has some really good basic functionality that you don't have to waste time setting up you just click on the, the extension add Add it to uh, add it to VS Code. It'll add without you have having to even re-, re restart your program now, and it's all good to go. And and with that actually being said, is it's really important to like not only with IDEs and with 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 functionality like that. It's actually really important that you find your default program for everything. So things like VS Code, obviously, as an example, but everything else too, like photo editing, even photo viewing cloud storage, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why I say that is because you should always have those tools mastered and in your tool set. So for example, if I need to quickly back up something, I like I'm in the Microsoft ecosystem. So I've learned, I've learned how to use OneDrive. I know how it acts, like how it syncs, how it does this, how's it, how it does that. And I have that as my default program on my computer. I know exactly where it is. I know the keyboard shortcuts to access it, like blah, 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 blah. I have my own setup in my own default program. Same thing goes with Anything you do on your phone, let's say if you want something to sync down, anything goes, or like not even just cloud storage, but like just if you want, for example, the photo editor. So again, I'm in the Microsoft ecosystem. I use the default photo app that comes with, with Microsoft and I compile that with, or like, um, not compile it, but I guess I, I combine that with my OneDrive so that now all my photos are just everywhere. So sometimes if I'm doing something where I'm like, oh, I want to use this on our Instagram or something, I'm going to take a screenshot of this. It'll sync to my OneDrive. I go to my computer. I already know where it is. I just open my photos. I take that. I copy it. I put it into my editor program. I change the thing. I re-upload it to OneDrive. Now I have it on my phone because it's easily accessible, blah, 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 blah. So learning all those key places where you learn all your you're learning all those ins and outs the keyboard shortcuts how things work how they act you connecting them in different ways whether that be natively or with ifttt or other methods that's really really critical and will save you precious seconds minutes and even hours depending on how complex you've or how complex of a task you've simplified by learning those ins and outs yeah that's a that's a good one matt uh just just having your you know environment set up just having all those applications accessible from your machine will make your life a lot easier without, you know, when you're first starting up with a laptop, like you just get your laptop when you don't have anything installed. It's kind of daunting at this point for me because I have so many applications that I use on a day-to-day basis. And I spend quite a bit of time trying to set that up uh, and getting it to the way I like it. And that definitely makes web development easier for me. Um, the next point I have here is Emmet. So this is kind of like a, a quick a quick insert function that is available in most IDEs most coding editors uh, what it allows you to do is just type in like a quick short form and it'll extend it out for you so for instance you can type in div into an html sheet and when you press enter it'll create your you know start tag and tag you can type dot uh, and then a class name, and it'll create the full div with the end start, end and and end and closing tags, uh, stuff like that. It's just essentially just short forms for longer for longer text. Uh, you can do quite a bit with it. There's a lot of shortcuts. There's a lot. There's a lot of little things that you need to kind of know. And each framework has their own kind of Emmet plugin to your to your IDE. So when I installed the Vue J, the Vue.js framework inside of uh, 
VS Code, it added a bunch of Emmet, uh, you know, like a scaffold for a scaffold for VS Code dot view files and stuff like that. Like, th- there's a lot of things to learn, and I'm still kind of a noob, I would say, at Emmet. So I need to I need to learn more shortcuts, but I'd still I I definitely use it. Uh, quite often, and it definitely makes my life easier. I think if I invested a little bit more time in into learning all the shortcuts, or at least the shortcuts that I need on a day to day basis, it would make my life even easier. That's why I'm kind of suggesting it here. Um, next thing, multiple monitors, and this one's a pretty big one. Uh, I don't know if anyone's followed me on Instagram. It's uh, I, I'm going to leave the link in my in the show notes if you want to do it. Uh, but I have a couple of uh, posts there that show my setup. I have three monitors, one being vertical and two being horizontal. Uh, it saves me so much time to be able to lay out all my screens, whatever I need, like the vertical monitors, great for having spreadsheets, for having long form text up and down. Like if I have documentation I was talking about earlier, I'll usually put it on the vertical monitor because I can just see more all at once, right? Uh, sometimes I'll have code on there as well because it's nice to see it as many lines of code as possible. So if I'm doing like compare, like if I'm comparing code left to right, I'll put it on my vertical monitor. Uh, so there's plenty of things that I do on the vertical monitor, on the horizontal monitor. Sometimes I'll have, um, you know, some of my status monitoring stuff on that. And my main monitor is where I do all of my coding, but essentially having more screen real estate, the more, the better. If I could, I would have four monitors. If I could, I would have five monitors. Like at some point, it would probably get kind of annoying, but I would definitely have at least one more monitor if I could <laughs> to to kind of optimize my workflow as much as I possibly can. The more things you can see at once, the less you have to kind of fumble around Windows um, and get, get stuff going. And kind of with that, uh, taking the time to set up your development environment for each project that you're working on. So opening all the applications that you're going to need, putting them in the spaces that you're going to need them for the monitor before you start working will definitely save you time and make it easier for you to develop without having to, again, fumble with windows. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of investing a little bit of time up front before I start working. Uh, like each morning, I'll invest time in opening the the applications that I'm currently working on opening up the applications that I need that I need so like do I need Android Studio do I need Xcode do I need v- uh, VS Code uh, do I need like FileZilla will I will I be updating anything so I'll spend some time and I'll spend some thought into opening up what I need right from the beginning because when you have everything open even though SSDs make everything life great hurrah hurrah it'll also remind you of what you need to do so sometimes I'll be in the process of coding and I'll step back and then I'll, but I'll see and I'll look on my, one of my monitors, I'll have like a FileZilla thing open and I'll be like, oh yes, that's right. I need to update a a website or something like that. So it reminds you and it keeps you in the flow of coding instead of having to go and fumble around trying to find the applications that you need, trying to set up the environment, set up the dev server. So I'll spin up all my, uh, all my dev servers and stuff like that right from the beginning. So I don't have to fumble around with that. Now, one thing I actually wanted to touch on with that, and, and again, it's combining your last two points, so the multiple monitors with the development environment stuff, is some of the laptop users out there, especially the MacBook users, they'll they'll only be using their MacBook. They won't be like, you know, docking it in any capacity. They won't be using a secondary monitor. So one of the things that you can do to kind of keep the uh, the efficiency up, of course, and they'll argue this, is you can use the multiple desktops feature, which is also available on Windows now, where they use... Um, I don't know if the gestures are available on Windows, but they use like the gestures on the MacBook to flip the flip applications, to change desktops, um, et cetera, et cetera. However, like Mike said, if you can get that multiple monitor setup, 
sometimes you have a bunch of applications that you need to be able to just see the information. Like how annoying is it to like flip between a website that you're like you're you're pressing compile and in, in your IDE and then you're flipping monitors to see if it changed like the header or something small that you're just like adjusting and so like you're flipping back and forth back and forth and so like that's a second wasted every single time you do that or longer so like if you can get those multiple monitors like I don't have the three like Mike does and I refuse to do the landscape or the portrait one as well because I don't like the aesthetic of it how has as, as UX oriented as I am, I refuse to do that because I'm just like people who use this are lunatics. But um, <laughs> all right, so it's a weird hill to stand on. Like, and 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 you are correct. Like, I know what's efficient. I know what helps, and I know it would it would help me a lot. And I just I just I'm not doing it. That's it. But I will say that one of the things that has helped me with the multiple monitors idea is I've started to. So I always have something playing. I work way, I work way better when I just have white noise playing. So I'll just play something on Netflix, even if I've seen it a million times or play a podcast or play something. Um, I've actually changed that now to, like, I'm still playing something, but I actually just have an iPad in front of me. And so I just literally took it off of my, my computer, my main device. And I'm now just have this iPad playing in front of me. It's like right in front. And then I have my two monitors and I can just work on my actual computer, but I just have this secondary device for, the white noise that I need. And so like if I had a third monitor, of course that would work as well. But the point is, is that yes, the desktop, the desk, the multiple desktops does help. But if you're a laptop user and you can get multiple monitors somehow, probably at home, I would hope that it is like, it is still a massive improvement and it really helps. And you won't, you won't be, I keep bumping my microphone. We won't, or you will not be able to go back very easily to a single monitor because even when I'm working on my laptop, it's like a pain. It's like, I'm just going to go like downstairs and actually use my computer. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's another big thing for me is that I, I kind of get anxiety when I leave my setup a little bit because I don't have all that screen real estate and I have trouble organizing myself on one small little screen. Now I, I do get by <laughs> and I am able to adapt and stuff like that. But right now I'll be, I'll actually be leaving for a month uh, to do some traveling and uh, some, I'll be working on the on the go. So I'll definitely be missing my three monitor setup. But the advantage is, is that I have an iPad with me, so I'll be using that as my secondary monitor for my MacBook. So uh, I will adapt a little bit. Uh, I am a little bit nervous to lose all like you know my screen real estate, but I think I'll be able to adapt, especially because I got a 15 inch laptop. It's not 13 inch. I tried that, didn't work out. I think we've talked about that a couple times. Um, Definitely like having a bigger. I would even go for 17 inch at some point, but it's a little bit too big at this uh, right now. But we'll see. Um, with that, uh, the next point here is the community. So the community is a big one to make your life a lot easier. Embrace it as much as you possibly can, essentially. So uh, w one thing that we have we have we have the Discord community, and it seems to be going really well. Like people ask questions on there, people get answers and stuff like that, and it's great. It's a great way to not only uh, you know, talk to people that are doing the same thing as you, but solidify your knowledge by answering questions and also get resolutions faster to your, to your own questions. Sometimes, yes, you will be able to Google something and figure it out really quickly, but sometimes the problem is layered, right? So it's, it's a multiple issue problem and you're, you're still really new. So you don't know exactly which part you should be Googling. 
that's the time that you want to ask a community. So join join up any any real communities that are around your topic. So maybe you're not into web development, maybe you're into something else, but uh, maybe you're into view specifically, there's view communities out there. Maybe there's like, you know, you're into a specific framework like Gritsum or Sanity. There's communities out there for just frameworks. And when you have a very specific questions, there's usually someone there that will be able to a refer you to the right documentation for that for that question or actually take you through and maybe even do like a call with you and help you out and uh f- figure out your 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 problems. So embracing that aspect and not being afraid to ask questions and answer questions is definitely something that will make your life easier in the future. Another thing uh and this is kind of just like a a tool that I use is Postman. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tool for API testing and API creation. So what it allows you to do is without having to build any sort of front end, it allows you to curl request an API really quickly. So you just essentially just put the URL for the API in there and, uh, put in all your attributes that you need and it'll give you a response back in whatever format that the response comes in. And you can kind of do some really quick API testing. So if you're making an API, I highly recommend getting something like Postman. I believe there's other ones, but I, I'm I, I'm particular to Postman because that's the only one I've used um, to do some quick testing without having to, you know, spin up your own front end to do like, you know, the console log testing that I used to do. That's for sure. So this makes my life easier for sure. Uh, next year is having the ability to code for my job instead of just a side project. And this one's important uh, because I'm able to spend more time doing the, th- doing the thing that I like to do and uh, I'm actually able to generate an income from it. So not only do I have the motivation to continue to learn web development, uh, the more I do it, the easier it becomes, just like with any other skill you can possibly have. So I'm fully, you know, my side projects are in web development. My main go- my main projects are in web development, like my actual job is in web development. So I'm fully invested in it. And the more I do it, the easier it becomes. So it's a huge advantage to have that. Not everyone, not everyone's going to be able to, you know, switch to web development as their main thing. But when you can... When you can at least like, even if you were to have a higher paying job, if you really like web development and you get that job offer, really consider it, I would say sometimes because going into it and fully investing all your time instead of, you know, two or three hours a day is going to really accelerate your, uh, your learning process. That's for sure. And it'll also give you that motivation and that feedback that you get when you're in a job and when, when you're constantly having to do stuff, uh, it'll, it's a very different game, let's say, than doing your own side projects. And and with that being said, also is it really will help with the work life balance. You know, like depending on, of course, what the job if the, you get a job offer, depending on the hours that they require you to work. But in general, it'll be something like eight hours a day, whatever, with some overtime if need be. But it's better than you doing, let's say, eight or twelve hours a day on like your daily actual job, your day job, and then coming home and doing two to three hours of web development, it's actually like a huge thing. Like you get to wake up and just immediately start doing this thing that you were already doing for fun or to, to learn in the evenings. Now your evening is, you know, blank. You can fill that in with a hobby or you can fill that in with relaxation or whatever. Like, even if you like what you're doing after work, like it's still nice to not have something that is like mentally tasking, in my opinion, like, like development. I, I could, I couldn't even imagine working a, a full day job coming home and then just like programming all night. I don't mind doing like, you know, UI development and that type of thing, of course. However, I wouldn't mind if I was already tired and then be like, all right, let's dive into this thing that's like going to require actually some brain power to do. You know, I'd rather just watch a movie or do whatever, not necessarily jump into something that's mentally taxing. So 
that, that's hats just my... off to the people. Yeah, and hats off to the people that are doing that because there's. I think most of our listeners are probably doing this as a side hustle. Uh, so they're they're in this exact boat where they're kind of going home and trying to better themselves in web development to then eventually maybe get a job or maybe they're just doing it because they like it. But regardless, hats off to you because this is a it's a really tough thing to get your head around when you have to do something completely different for the other half of the day. So you're investing in yourself. Keep going. That's for sure. And know that at the end of the your goal is to get that job. And to be able to provide for yourself with the skill that you're learning. And then you'll be able to really accelerate your development skills. That's, that, that's what I'm saying with this. This makes it a lot easier. The other th- another, uh, another one here is uh, trusting in libraries and frameworks. And this one has been a little bit tough for us, I would say, because, again, we've talked about this many times. But we started off in very vanilla mode. So we learned vanilla everything. Uh, no frameworks. Very minimal libraries here and there. Um and moving off from that, we're always in that space where like, what if this framework gets unsupported? What if it gets closed? What if we lose, like, you know, we're going to invest all that time in learning the skills and stuff like that. But to be perfectly honest, once you have those very, a very good base, like we've talked about many times, once you have that, moving from one framework from one library to another is is not a very big hassle. It's a short ramp up and then you're good to go kind of thing. So when you're at that point, trusting in them to do stuff that, that, that makes your life easier is important. So Vue.js makes reactive design or reactive information data very easy. So I'm able to, you know, uh, make something that as I'm working in, in the workflow, as the data is changing, stuff is changing in real time in the application. Uh, if it's if it's getting queried from a database, anything that's changing in the database is able to be in real time shown on the website without me having to code my own custom uh, custom function to be able to do that custom you know uh, inter- interface interfaces to be able to do that. I'm able to do it natively with Vue.js, so it saves me a ton of time and it makes my life way easier. And this is the same thing for React. Like I'm not a React developer, but I know React does it does everything very similarly. So if you're a React developer, if you're looking into it, that's kind of what it does for you. It, it allows you to have very easy reactive data. So if your data is changing a lot in your application, definitely look at something like a framework to help you. Um, with with something like a, a library, we like Matt and I have used Lightbox.js many many times. Uh, just to get a simple light box up there that'll have your photos. There's no reason to develop our own light box, which would take us, you know, a, a few hours here and there uh, to be able to do, to be able to make it as solid as lightbox.js is. So us trusting in those frameworks, us trusting in those libraries saves us a lot of time, saves us a lot of the hassle, and it makes life easier. And then once you're in the groove of trusting them, you start using them more and more. Don't use them excessively, but you really are able to kind of, when you, when you, task with the project you're able to see where it makes sense to use these libraries and these frameworks and that makes that makes planning something easier that makes quoting something a little bit easier as well uh planning your time around it you're able to kind of save a lot of time for your clients because you're not developing something from scratch which they love they always talk about people always talk about templates using templates is kind of trusting in it and that's that does make not only your client's life easier but your life easier as well with that being said, too, it's like you 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 obviously already mentioned like the the time savings that you get, but one of the things that you also mentioned was you know we, we were afraid of you know what if this like framework starts to go away or whatever. But one of the good things is that 
oftentimes with things like Lightbox.js and a bunch of others as well is you don't necessarily have to, if it's compatible, rely on something that's remote. So a lot of these things will continue to work. Maybe that maybe the Lightbox.js just goes away, but we're not relying on a CDN. You know, we're relying on local files that are right there. And sure, those functions might get deprecated or whatever. But if you take it out of the web development industry, you know, a guy who like, I don't know, installs air air conditioners isn't afraid to install an air conditioner because there might be a more efficient one that comes out in, th- in two years. You know, he's just going to install what's there, get the job done. And then if you need to have a new air conditioner in a few years, you need to have a new air conditioner in a few years. It's one of those things where if your customer calls you and says you know, hey, what the heck's going on here five years down the road? You might just be like, oh, sorry, you know, things have changed. You don't want to do that like a day after, of course. But like b- the fact that those files are like local in most cases will keep that thing running for a long time. And if they want additional functionality, if they want something that's better supported, just like how Flash sites, Flash websites are gone, man. I don't even think I have Flash player installed on my computer anymore. And the other day I saw something that said requires Flash. And I was like, holy crap, like I literally forgot about flash and so things do move on and that was one of the that's one of the harder things that we try to deal with because we were like if we do it in the purest sense it'll stay like you know it'll kind of work forever yeah it will but then the design's going to age and we don't really consider that type of thing so like things will age things will need to be replaced things will need to be updated that's just a part of any product life cycle yeah absolutely i I, that that's exactly it so just Trust, like once you have those base skills, trust in yourself to move on to these frameworks and libraries. Use them when you need to, obviously, when you know they're going to save you time, essentially. Uh, the next thing here is Chrome DevTools. This is a big one, and Firefox DevTools is also great, but I, I use Chrome for the most part. Uh, learning how the console works, how the sources tab works, how the network tab works, how the how to debug using Chrome DevTools has saved me so much time. It's not even funny because being able to put breakpoints in my code, figure out exactly what's going on at that certain breakpoint, being able to go into the console, type in any object that's going that that's existing at that framework, and seeing what's occurring in that object is a very big plus. Uh, and I'm telling, like, if you don't, if you're relying on just console logs. You know, like that's one form of debugging. I highly recommend investing some time, maybe watching a few YouTube tutorials on how to use Chrome DevTools as a debugger, because there's a lot of functions in there that probably I don't even know, to be honest, but there's a lot that I use that for. I use that on like every day, every single day, multiple times to figure out exactly what's going on in my code at certain times, just to, even when I'm trying to like figure out where to a apply a fix or do a new feature i'll just pop open chrome dev tools and i'll kind of put a breakpoint at wherever i'm thinking and be like okay what functions what uh objects what variables are available to me here what will i have to bring in what what can i use stuff like that uh even during the planning stages like i sometimes don't use it for debugging i use it for planning so knowing chrome dev tools definitely a big plus uh, and big one here, not having to develop for IE. And I mean, we started web development, uh, I think like five, six years ago now, Matt, I don't know when we started with having to develop for it, for sure. We had, we had to adjust a lot of stuff to make sure that it looked okay on internet Explorer. And Matt, I mean, Matt can attest to this more than I can. That was a huge pain. And like, I don't think we've had to worry about it for a while now. And that definitely saves hours upon hours being able to use the functionality that 
Edge and Chrome and Firefox provide without having to worry about backwards compatibility with like stuff that's over 10 years old or over 15 years old is a big plus. We don't work for projects that require that, which is why we don't do it. Um, and there are strategies to kind of get around having to invest a ton of time. I know one of them is like make your mobile layout very basic so that everything kind of defaults to your mobile layout if it doesn't detect like a support for the functionality. Um, that's a good strategy that I've, that I've heard, but we don't do that because again, our, most of our clients are not on IE or like most of even their, our clients' clients aren't on IE. So we don't have to worry about it too much. I don't think we've ever had a complaint in the last like two or three years. No. And, and realistically too, like if somebody were to come to us and say, Hey, we need IE, whatever version support, like we'll absolutely do that. I have no problem, but you will be paying a premium for that. I know that sounds like really cruel, like, hey, what the heck? But it's like, no, that's like a lot of development hours that are added. And a lot of things that we like, you know, we we can't use. Maybe we can't use some of those libraries or frameworks that we would normally use. We can't use certain functionality. We have to hack in things because, you know, the user wants a modern feature. A lot of the times it's something really specific with a layout and responsivity. And it'll be like, oh, just do it like this, like every other site. But it's like, you can't just use Flexbox on this particular version of IE or whatever it is. You can't just use uh, Flexbox on this. We're going to have to hack it together with weird percents and other crap. And then like those percents don't work in Chrome. So then you have to like, have a backup like style sheet like no like, like i'll do it but you get, like it is additional hours it is additional work it's more labor you have to pay more because we advertise like you know we we have modern responsive websites modern meaning not something that needs to run on windows 98 or windows xp but like sorry if you are on those things however as the rest of the world has you know we've kind of moved on from that we're no longer riding in horse and buggies we drive cars you know what i mean it's literally it's literally that that big of a of a transition in the tech world obviously with much fewer years but tech moves fast and that's just sort of the way it is exactly so that huge plus don't <laughs> try to put yourself in a situation where you don't have to develop for ie as much as you can because it'll drive you crazy or call me uh, and i'll and hit me up on twitter and i'll i'll do it but it'll be one hell of a premium <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So the other thing here, being able to set my own hours, uh, that helps in multiple different ways. Uh, I'm able to work around my life. I'm able to work around uh, my wife's life and stuff like that. Not only that, but I'm effective in different parts of the day. So I'm effective in the morning and then I'm effective in the late uh, late afternoon or evening. So I like to break up my days where I get a lot, a lot of stuff done in the morning then I do my lunch and I get my errands done and then I come back and I work for up until like the later part of the evening or the or the early part of the evening. Um, and those are the times that are most effective. In a standard job, I would have to do the nine to five. So I would have three or four hours, not of wasted time. Obviously, I could still do work during the afternoon-ish times, but I'm not as a, as productive. So why force myself to do it when I can just, you know, fit my the stuff that I would be doing after into those times and then be more productive later on. So it, it allows you to adjust to your own kind of rhythmic schedule. And I think Matt, you're on a, on an evening kind of schedule where you start working a little bit later, but then you, you like, you can do stuff in the morning that's not related to work, or you can do stuff at night. Like you, you have a more middle of the day kind of schedule. Um, I, it it's just really helpful and not everyone will have that luxury but if you can make it like that if your boss is is able to allow you to be flexible uh it's definitely recommended to figure out your rhythm rhythm so where are you most effective and work those hours 
And and with that being said, like you mentioned, I'm on sort of an evening schedule. One of the great things about this is, is the fact that, yes, I'm on an evening schedule, but I can still, quote unquote, deliver things in the morning. So what that means is, is either, either something is like a scheduled post or something, let's just say, hypothetically, that's just, you know, straight cut and dry. However, with a customer, what you can simply do is, like the other day, literally last night, actually, I should say, I was... I, you know, worked in the afternoon, did a few hours, then I I had to, like, take off and go out. So then I took off, go, went out, came back a couple hours later, and then I just did another five hours. I was up till, like, 3.30 in the morning, but what I did was, like, completed a deliverable, pushed the change, emailed that person. That person's not awake, but that's, like, the first or second email they're going to see in the morning. So now I've just delivered something, essentially, in the morning. And so they're not going to expect me to answer in the morning or even necessarily in that afternoon if it's, like, a 24-hour... um one of our response time, let's just say. However, even if I do answer in the afternoon, I've just now sent them a deliverable that, that they can, you know, work with or whatever they needed to do with it. And now, now it looks like I'm like super active and acting very quickly. And that really helps. It also helps with this flexibility is that when we need to do a migration that we're worried about, where we're like, oh, there might be some downtime, there might be some sketchiness here, we don't really know what is going to happen it's much easier to do those at night so you can kind of double back and no one's really awake. That's sort of really critical. That's something I learned in IT as well. So that's kind of my main thing. Also, with with that being said as well, with the flexible hours, sometimes I'll just get, sometimes you just can't get into the group. So you'll, you, you know, you'll do maybe four or five hours or whatever. You do like half your workday and then you're just like, man, I'm, I'm bored or like I just, I can't focus on this. Sometimes I'll just stop watch a movie, stop, meet meet up with some people, or stop and play a game, a video game, and then I'll come back sometimes at 1 in the morning, and I'll just work to 4 a.m., and I'll just do that, and people might say that's crazy, but I'm still doing, you know, the 8 whatever hours, I'm still ripping through a bunch of work, and I'm still delivering things on time, so realistically, w- short of somebody, like, you know, checking uh, my figurative punch clock, I'm still working the same amount, still doing the same thing, and I'm quote unquote healthier for it. I don't have four hours of like unproductive time. I have four hours of like, like I do like four, like I said, I do like the four hours. Then I'll be like, I need to take a break. I'm just bored rather than me being like, no, I'm going to sit here for eight hours and my other four hours, I'm going to be distracted. Now I had four hour block break, another four hour block, both hyper, hyper, um, uh, concentrate, not hyper concentrated. What am I trying to say? Hyper, hyperactive. Yes. I was like, I ripped through a whole bunch of stuff, got a bunch of posts done, did a bunch of things. In those eight hours total, no downtime within those eight hours. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that that's the huge that's a huge advantage of being your own boss and or being able to have a flexible schedule. Uh, next thing and last thing for me is uh, coffee breaks. Um, I take these not not too often, but often enough. And being able to kind of get up, drink some coffee. Uh, it really breaks up the day really well, and I think coffee is one of those things that every developer kind of drinks. If you're not drinking coffee, I guess you're drinking tea. Either way, highly recommend kind of decompressing yourself and always just taking those like five, ten minute breaks, going downstairs, going going to the office uh, break room, dr- getting some coffee, talking to people around. It'll take you out of your flow a little bit, which is like you know arguably bad, but you need those you need those times to break up your day otherwise everything just becomes too much of a grind again we talked about burnout recently without stuff like this without stuff that breaks up your day you're going to get to burnout quicker so you need to kind of manage your time so take coffee breaks drink lots of coffee relax a little bit sometimes and uh, enjoy what you're doing don't don't get too too crazy with it because again burnout is a serious thing 
And with that being said, um, don't drink too much coffee. Um, <laughs> so um, I've actually drank coffee to the point where I started getting neck pain and started panicking over literally nothing. Like I had nothing to panic about. And I like messaged Mike and I was like, yeah, I'm just currently sitting here with like really bad neck pain and I'm just in a full panic attack, but I'm not panicking about anything. So uh, just word of the wise out there, don't, I just used to drink coffee all day, no water, no, I don't know, juice, whatever. I just was like constantly had a massive mug in front of me and it was never empty. I wouldn't necessarily take a coffee break where it would take five minutes, but I would literally, oh, okay, go to the coffee maker, fill up, drink some more. Oh, go, go again, fill up some more. So, uh, take it easy there, kids, because, uh, it, uh, it hurts. It literally hurts if you have too much caffeine, but, uh, and I'm not a doctor, but so, uh, maybe ask him, but. Um, I think we'll move on to, oh wait, no, 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 no. I have extra points here. Jesus. I'm, I'm like moving, moving past you here, Mike. So, um, one of the, or I, I personally have a couple of points that I wanted to mention regarding, um, these, uh, ma- making web development easier, specifically my stuff's more for UI and UX type of stuff. So the first one is going to be something really easy. So something like Flexbox versus box model. So rather than, you know, just using inline blocks and other, you know, other margins and stuff like that just using those things solely to make things responsive, it's way easier to use Flexbox. So it, yes, there's that learning curve where I went from, okay, I have this box model, blah, 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 and I mastered it, but now I got to use Flexbox, and I was like, you know, humming, hawing, like, uh, do I learn this, blah, 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 but it's like, yes, once I learned that, layouts are way easier, it's way faster, and and now I have that skill. And then I'm sure I'll move to grid at some point, or I'll use grid when it's appropriate, but it's it's sort of the same thing. So that's one of the things where, you know, keep in, keep keep your like, your ear to the ground with new technologies like that, new standards like that, and keep it, also keep in mind the old stuff as well. Like, you know, we still use margins, we still use padding, we still use the box model for a lot of things. However, now I know like, oh, I just want to lay out a page really quick. I, it's faster than ever with Flexbox. And I was wicked fast with box model as it was regardless. So there's always ways to improve. Better is always possible as the prime minister of Canada says. So, <laughs> um, but that that is actually a very true statement is it is just keep your nose to the ground with when it comes to keep your nose to the ground, keep your ear to the ground uh, when it comes to new technologies and new standards within whatever you're working on. And the second thing uh, that I wanted to mention here is, and I've already mentioned this a bit too, is the cloud storage stuff, but not cloud storage is in the traditional OneDrive. That is one example, but I mean cloud storage and cloud syncing as well, especially, especially with things like mobile app integrations. So a lot of the time, what I'll actually do is I'll actually jot down my show notes. I'll jot down um, ideas for the show. I'll jot down things, but I'll be doing that while I'm out and about. I'll like just something will come to me and I'll be like, oh, I got to write this down. And so for example, Trello is one of our big organizational tools. And so I'll just jot that down on my phone and I can quickly run to the computer and it's just bang, it's right there. Same thing with uh, Microsoft to do. So Microsoft to do recently got a facelift and I've been using that for just my daily tasks, like my solo tasks. We, Mike and I use Asana collaboratively, but if, if it's just me and I just need to like remember things, I'll be on a phone call, put, and they'll be, you know, listing off a few things. I'll quickly open up to do, put them on speakerphone and I'll, you know, type the stuff in on my phone and then bang, when I go to my computer, it's already right there. It's already ready to go. Um, same thing with the computer as well. I can set up those to do tasks on the computer. And then when I'm out and about, maybe I get a reminder like, Hey, you're supposed to do this while you're at this person's office, whatever. 
and it's right there. So those type of sync integrations, I know people kind of would take kind of take them for granted, but you really notice them when they're not there, especially when I use a couple of open open source note note taking applications here and there. I've like tried a bunch of them and some of them are very much like, you know, export to to Google Drive, let's say, and then when you have it on another computer, import. But there's not that like seamless just like, oh, I logged into my account and bang, all my notes were there. It's like, no, I have to do this import export. So you can really take that syncing for granted. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind where you can make a task, you can make a task mobile and, or or you can take it from mobile and dump it onto your computer. Just kind of know where you work best on certain things. Like for example, I do, I like managing all my tasks and all my podcasts, let's say on my phone. However, I could do that on the computer if I needed to, but I prefer it on the phone. But then meanwhile, because it syncs, somebody else could come in like Mike in Asana and he could, you know, change up some of the tasks and he could do that on desktop if he likes. And because it's seamless, bang, you're good to go. So it's just something to keep in mind that we all take for granted, but it's something that's from a UX perspective, extremely helpful for web development and other projects. Now, unless Mike has anything else to add here, um, I'll actually move on to the web news this time. Do it up. Alrighty. So this web news is going to be uh, regarding hustle overload. So if you're interested in um, interested at all in entrepreneurship, you're exposing yourself to what people will call the hustle or your hustle, which is basically the thing that you're doing to ensure that you make money. And this applies quite frequently to you know, I, what people will call a side hustle. And that's what, that's when somebody does something in addition to their full-time day job. And this is usually to try to make some extra money, or maybe they actually want that side hustle to be their main job because people will actually call your full-time job, your hustle. So then you have like your hustle, which is your day job, and then your side hustle, which is your side thing, whatever. The point is, is that the overload comes from when people start picking up multiple side hustles and this is when they're trying to find maybe the right one for them or maybe they like this is, and this is pretty bad when they don't actually stick with one long enough so maybe they start i don't know a photography business they stick with it for two weeks they're like ah, i didn't you know i'm done with this i'm not making any money but in reality they were actually starting to get customers but they didn't grind away long enough and then they just like jump to something else and thinking oh you know i'm unsuccessful as a photographer i'll go do something else that's really bad because it's kind of wasted skills wasted time and then also with that Success stories can actually be really, uh, really distracting as well. So success stories online can make this worse. If you're someone that, you know, if you're, if you're trying to become really wealthy or you're trying to make like a half decent buck, you might see someone online, a success story like, oh, this person sold, I don't know, sold stamps and they became really wealthy in a matter of months. And you know, and, and, you know, you should try this hustle. Here's a kit to like start selling stamps or whatever. So then you, you get discouraged at what you're doing because you're not becoming wealthy at your, your side hustle or your main hustle. And so you then go and pick up yet another hustle. And sometimes people will have a bunch of side hustles. Sometimes people will have a bunch of full-time hustles even, or a combination of those. And so this is where this is where people try to micromanage their lives. They try to like, okay, I have to have, you know, these two hours are for my stamp stuff. These two hours are for my, I don't know, lawn cutting business. These two hours are for my web development. And it starts becoming really ridiculous because it starts eating up all of their time. It starts eating, they're eating into their wallet because usually they're buying supplies like those, I don't know, the stamp kits in my example. And it also eats into their work-life balance. And so they're constantly feeling burnt out. In, in general, some people love the hustle, but in general, people will start feeling burnt out where they're constantly trying to do stuff to make money and they're, you know, barely making ends meet in most cases. So one of the things that I want, one of the, before I 
list out my questions as I always do with the web news is this was actually influenced and th- what gave me the idea was one of my friends um his name is Alex and he makes uh live edge furniture and other like sort of accessories and that type of thing um like accessories like jewelry boxes and other stuff and basically basically what made me think of this was he was messaging me and he's like hey you know I have this table I want to sell this table like you know what's the best way to do it so just because I'm online all the time I basically explained you know hey we use Etsy this is how we do it this is how we set it up you know, we can use, you know, Facebook Marketplace, we can use this, we can use that. And he was like, wow, that's, you know, kind of sounds like it's getting, you know, kind of serious and kind of complicated. And I was like, well, yeah, because, you know, you're setting up essentially a side hustle, you're setting up a business online, you're setting up an online store, e-commerce, like it is a bit, you know, crazy. And I said, alternatively, you could, you know, just kind of post on Instagram and try to build up your social status or your, uh, like your social media status rather. And, you know, it could go through there and people might message you. And at the end of the day, he selected and opted to go that way. He just selected, okay, I'm going to, you know, kind of stick for now with the social media game because I like doing the live edge stuff. I like doing the woodworking. Um, I don't want this to become, you know, annoying, right? Where like you're doing, you know, taxes for hours or like whatever, or you're, you know, you're buying QuickBooks and you're dealing with commissions and you're trying to get checks from Etsy or whatever you have to do. You know, he doesn't want that bother. And so this is kind of where this came from because I was like, wow, like, you know, he could potentially blow up on Etsy. He could blow up on all these things, but he knows like, no, I want to keep enjoying this side hustle. I want to keep enjoying this woodworking. I don't want to go ham into all this business stuff because then I will become annoyed and probably start resenting the work. So that's kind of where the inspiration came from. And I will be sharing a link to his, uh, to his Instagram in the show notes as well, just as a bit of a shout out to him, uh, because he, because he influenced this, uh, this web news. But with that being said, here's the questions. There's a few of them here. I'll list them out and then we can kind of tackle them. So what are your thoughts on having a side hustle? Do you think that people should have multiple side hustles or should side hustles or even full-time hustles be something you chase based on what you see is successful online or should they be more hobby based? Okay, uh, that's a lot to unpackage, but uh, I think, I mean, I think side hustles are a big thing and I think they are important, um, especially for someone that's not happy with their current job. I think that's that's where it becomes the most important because for a lot of people, I think what they see as a side hustle is something that could eventually develop into a permanent thing. Um, I think it's a like it, it's always a possibility where like let's say you're really good at woodworking like your friend is uh, and he makes these amazing tables and yeah he can like he's still doing his job he makes a couple tables puts them on Instagram there's a chance that it could become really big because people really like his tables right so there's a chance that he could per- permanently start doing that I think I think it's important to see that kind of thing in a side hustle uh personally this might be and this might be different for a lot of people like maybe maybe some people like it like having their side hustle kind of low-key and not much work but they can get a couple bucks every month or something like that but for me i would need to see an end game to my side i need to see like the progression of it like where initially yes very simple something really easy to control but where is it going to be in three years where could it be in five years where could it be in 10 years stuff like that uh if i was unsatisfied with my job i think it would be even more important where i would kind of invest a lot of time after work trying to develop my skills trying to become better at whatever that side hustle would be whether it be web development whether it be something else 
I would try to do my best to make that my permanent, the permanent, the thing that I'm permanently going to do at like, and trying to move away from something that I hate to do on a daily basis. Cause why, why would you put yourself through? Like if you had the choice, right. To put yourself fully into your, the thing that you like to do, like web development, why would you move away? Why would you, why wouldn't you do that is what I'm trying to say. Like it do, it doesn't make sense to me to kind of be in a place where like, Let's say that you're a security guard. You make okay money as a security guard, but you hate it. I don't know why, like some people hate their jobs. You hate being a security guard. Uh, Then you come home at night, you do some web development work, right? I could see, like, you have to be able to see yourself doing that on a permanent basis to make it, to make it a true side hustle, in my opinion. Um, Now, again, it's called a side hustle, so it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that. But when I, I need the motivation of that future prospects for me to be able to invest in something like a side hustle. That's how I see it. Um, I don't know if that answers all your questions, Matt. Uh, having multiple side hustles here, he, he, that to me is also kind of an iffy idea because you're you're spreading yourself too thin. Because a side hustle in its term means that you're doing something like you're, you're doing something important or something that generates income initially and then having to come home and do like three or two different side hustles that might be too much you might be stretching yourself too thin at that point you might not be investing enough time into those things right like if you if you're stretching yourself too thin then all of the things will suffer so you want to you want to be able to like fully do something even if it is a side hustle you want to be able to put yourself into it and try to get as much accomplished as as you can now having said that Trying a bunch of different things and seeing what works is also a very viable option. Uh, like if you if you're going into like let's say you're a web developer uh, and you you don't like it and you're going you want to be a car mechanic and you go out and you try to repair your car you try to repair a couple of friends' cars and you realize that you hate it but you're pretty good at it. There's no like in my opinion you should be looking for something else as a side hustle. Try like try something else at that point. I wouldn't say like do multiple things at the same time, but again I would recommend going going and trying to find the thing that you like the thing that you think you can be good at stuff like that that that's kind of where i'll leave it there it's an interesting perspective because it's one of those things where like kind of like how alex kind of dealt with it where it's it's like if you do like like his hobby is woodworking right and it's related to his regular job he does like carpentry and stuff but it's like when it's your hobby making it a hustle whether it be a side hustle or a full-time hustle is it, it does get messy. And so I definitely see your point, Mike, where you say, you know, in order for it to be my side hustle, I need it to sort of have that end goal. But I'm wondering whether whether or not maybe we should kind of separate the words, you know, hobby and hustle. So like, imagine if, imagine if you like had a group of, imagine like a, like a band is a good, is a good probably example where it's like, Let's just hypothetically say everyone's happy in this band. They're having fun, whatever, blah, 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 play music. That's fine. But then once you introduce like, oh, let's formally make a band and let's formally go play places and let's formally get paid to a certain extent. Once you introduce that money, then I kind of can see people breaking up. You know, they don't want to do this. This guy took too much money. That guy thinks he's all that, blah, 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 blah. Like once money is on the table, you're, you, there's like an actual measurement of like the metric. It's like, here's, here's the measurement of how good you guys are at music. And, and so it, it starts kind of waning on you. Like a prime example is, I guess, is I will, 
do a bunch of server admin, admin stuff in my own house after hours. I'll mess around with that. That's sort of my hobby. But the reason why I like that is because if it goes down, I'm not in a panic. If it has a big problem, I'm not in a panic. It is my hobby. I like to mess around with it. I like to like to see the new server tech. I like keeping my uh, Linux commands fresh in my head. I like messing around with Raspberry Pis. I like making little appliances, little, you know, this controls my lights, this controls this, this controls that. I like doing that, but I like not having it be stressful. Like if you and I, let's say we were like, you know what, the heck with the the web developer game, but we have that experience. Let's make, you know, smart home uh, interfaces that, you know, so we make the website, that's the interface, and then I make the little thing out of the Raspberry Pi. If somebody's goes down or if I find a major flaw, immediately it's like, oh my god, like this is a major problem. Like this is a stressor now where it's like I have to go into all these people's houses and like fix their little smart home device thing that we made. Whereas now it's just like, oh, that's a mistake. I'll fix that next week or like I can work around it. You know, you can kind of you can forgive yourself. It's the same thing we've talked about in the past with the UX experience where we'll to an extent excuse ourselves or just be like, oh, that button's broken, but like, I'm not going to worry about that. But if that was customer facing, or even if it's in the back end, but like your customer, so the person that's using the editor, let's say they see it and it's a broken button in the editor, you're like, oh, I have to fix this, you know, right away, or I have to fix this within my response window that I've promised type of thing. There's always like that stressor. And so I can kind of see, I can kind of see like how maybe hobbies and side hustles should be separated. I know that wasn't exactly a question, but like just having this discussion kind of like made me think of that. I think that having a side hustle is fine to like try to get back into the questions. I think that having a side hustle is, is fine. I think it's great. I think it's almost like diversifying your portfolio, if you will. You know, it's, it's, if you're, I always, I always like to bring it into, cause like we're in tech. I always try to, the opposite is like mechanics to me. So like if you're a car mechanic and you are learning, I don't know, web development on the side, that's sort of like you're enhancing your quote unquote, like, the value in your head. The value in your head is going up so that if cars suddenly, they they flip the switch and they say, that's it, we're only doing electric cars, and you're like, well, I don't know anything about electric cars, but I do know how to make websites. Now you could, you know, go into your second career already prepared. You're not going back to school necessarily, or you're not going in there with zero experience. You know, you have some sort of, some sort of like secondary skill. I don't think, however, that it necessarily does have to grow into something that's a full-time hustle. I think that that's another stressor, if you will. So, like, trying to scale it is a big stressor, right? Like, if you are, if you have a hobby, you make it into a side hustle, so you're you're willing to take on that little bit of stress, and it makes you $50 a month, so it covers your phone bill, let's say. If you try to scale that, and it stays at $50 a month, that's yet another stressor, and you're going to hate doing whatever that thing was that you were doing whether that be content creation or whatever. I think that's one of the big things. Like, um, a prime example, I keep bumping my mic, sorry about that, but it, like uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking of is I take a lot, like I'm a bit of a shutter bug. Once Google Photos and everyone else was, not everybody else, but Amazon, like uh, Amazon Prime Photos or whatever they call it, they said like, hey, we have unlimited photo storage. I'm like, oh, okay. So like literally if it's like a picture of like a house, I used to just go like click, that's it. Now I'm like, no, 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 click, 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 different like angle, click, 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 but I don't post it anywhere. And like, I will very rarely post it on my Instagram, but the reason why I don't is because for work, specifically for this, for HTML, all the things, I like, I can't get my mind out of the fact that I'm like, I need to maximize my reach. 
I need to maximize what time do I post it? What time do I post it? What hashtags do I use? Do I engage with people around the same topic at the same time? Do I do this? Do I do that? And so I literally have like actual terabytes of photos that no one, no one sees. And I don't look at them often. I just have photos everywhere and they're all digital. They're all whatever. It's not like I'm a hoarder other than digitally, but like the, the, the fact that it was related to one of my hustles makes it so that I don't want to post it. And I probably should. Like I posted one, um, a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. Like I should probably do that considering I take pictures all the freaking time and I bought a new phone specifically for the camera. But for some reason, I just can't get my head out of that hustle and I can't get my head out of like that stressor. Cause I'm like, well, if I'm going to post it, I might as well maximize it. And with that being said, I really sympathize with the people that do the multiple hustles, the multiple hustles or the multiple side hustles or whatever you're doing. That's got to be crazy because they're probably all playing on each other. They're taking a bunch of your time like that. Like, unless you just like really love it and you're fine with just like, you know, you know how like you can find some guys that are just so good at something that's in a niche where they're not actually doing any effort. They're just selling their product. Whether, whatever it is, whether they're making shelves or whether they're uh, making websites or whatever, like they're just so good at this particular niche that they're just, it's just flying off the shelves. That is like the ideal, the ideal sort of viral, if you will, hustle. However, because that's not real, that's not a realistic goal. That's not something you can just naturally become like attain. You don't know what's going to be a niche. You don't know that you're going to be a master at it. You don't know that someone else isn't going to steal your market, but like that, that little scenario there where you're just doing it and you're just selling it with no effort, like no additional effort other than maybe like setting up that Etsy shop or, uh, just listing it on Facebook marketplace and like maybe, you know, dealing with the odd phone call or text message. If you're totally fine with that, that's the ideal hustle, but that's so impossible to estimate in terms of like how you attain that. And so as a closing note to hut to this, to this conversation, unless you have anything else to add, Mike is, I guess it's, Yes, I agree with having a side hustle for the for the portfolio diversification. I don't agree unless you're really passionate about having the multiple side hustles. Um, again, unless you're really passionate. And I, I'm not against trying to make your side hustle your full-time hustle, but I don't think it's required, especially if you have two passions that could bring you in money. Yeah, honestly, like I, I think you summarized it really well and you, you hit all the main points I I don't have too too much to add to it because as far as uh, as far as side hustles go, I think my hobby or side hustle is still web development because after my work time is done, I go in and do hat things and you know research other web technologies. Like I'm kind of putting all my eggs in one basket, which I wouldn't recommend for everyone to do. But for me, it's like one of those things where I'm already investing so much time into it and I like it. And when I'm, like you said, when it's not something for work, I can kind of relax with it and work on it at my own pace and figure out technologies at my own pace and not have to invest so much time into knowing if technology is going to work or not, stuff like that. I like, I, I am putting all my eggs in one basket. So my thought, my thought process for this is a little bit different than most people. So I think that's where I'm coming from with like, do the side hustle that you think is going to generate you an, uh, an, an image and stuff like that. Um, but with that being said, uh, I think that's all I really have to add. I think I think you summarize it really well, and we have kind of both the points there. So it's it's up to people to decide. Yeah, I think it, I think this is like a really 
not a controversial topic, but it's a really like it's like a per a per person preference for sure. I think that I think that it's it, it's important for you if you're passionate to go after those things and you know don't discourage yourself. At the same time, there is a fair bit of management with with anything. You know, you have to manage how long should I grind at this? Is this a waste of time? Is this a waste of time or is this a hobby? You know, that that there's a question that very few people ask. Like I think that people some people don't I I don't know whether like they're being too hard on themselves or something, but like some people just they just hustle. And like a lot of people that do that I find don't actually like hustling. They're hustling thinking they're going to become like the next Bill Gates or something or like at least really rich. And it's sort of like you, you know, yes, like a lot of hard work, blah blah blah, but like at the same time it's like you are you are you killing yourself? Are you neglecting your family? Are you are you neglecting other things in your life because like and other obligations because you're just trying to hustle to make an extra buck? And like so like all of this really relies heavily on your situation, your passion, your preference and your hobbies. Your lifestyle really is what this really really requires you to kind of analyze, I think. And and your preference, like just to, do you want to do this? Do you want to do it this way? Do you want to do it this way? This way? This way? Do you want to stop doing it? Do you want to just make it a hobby? Whatever. You know, it's kind of your choice. And I think that's one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur and being like having like the hustle mentality. But just don't kill yourself out there. Don't go crazy working like 90 hour weeks or anything like that. Don't go don't go too nuts. Um, but I think unless you have anything else to add there, Mike, I know we've already kind of concluded it, but uh, I'm going to run the old show conclusion this time. Do it up. So uh, thank you for listening and make sure you do not miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML, all the things that's on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. That's at HTML, everything we are on medium and we're on GitHub. And remember, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Those are Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. And works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. That's localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. You can find him at blueblackdigital.com. And some newbies here. Chris from selfmadewebdesigner.com. As well as Tim from thewebhacker.com. So feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.